Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the WEI Celtics podcast powered by CLNS Radio. I am Jared Weiss, joined by Mr. Barnaby over here, Samuel Packard. What's going on? Not much. Everything's going well. I'm excited for today's episode of the podcast. We're going to be joined by Comcast Sportsnet's Kyle Draper, and then my sit-down interview with my favorite presidential candidate, Evan Turner. Who I think is the one that will cause a change for America that will save if this country If anyone's going to make America great again, it's probably E.T. So we make sure you tune in for that interview. That's at the end. But first we talk to Kyle. But actually first, we got to talk a little bit about the Clippers game last night. Actually first, as we, actually say, first, in the, I, as we say in the business. That is uh, technical lingo. I learned that at the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Oh, wow, great education there. So the Clippers game. An incredible, memorable contest between the Celtics and the Clippers in what could have been Paul Pierce's final game. Uh, there was probably was not a dry eye in the house as he walked away, although he didn't certainly he didn't leave like someone that was clearly having their last go around in the garden. Oh, no, he left real casually, had headphones on. He didn't really care. He seemed like he'll be back. A lot of people saying it's going to be his last game, but I wouldn't be so shocked to see him play again next year and come. I He made some couple threes. He's still somewhat effective as a role player. I just think he's the type of player who loves the game too much and isn't going to go out. We've seen KG holding on year after year. I think uh, the truth still has some heart left in him. It's probably another season. I mean, he he could be at least a corner three-point shooter next year at the end of a roster. And I think he knows that someone will still pay him whatever the vetman will be, $3 million probably he for a, him. a multi-year deal with the Clippers, or am I crazy? Oh, that's, no, you're right. That's true. Um, so then that would be the ones that would pay him. So And it's stock. So he knows that they will obviously want him back next year to at least, if he's not going to be playing every single night, just at least be there to be a coach and Doc said that Paul is basically his mouthpiece on the court, that he is the one motivating the team in the same way, barking out orders. He knows the system. I mean, we saw a lot of the stuff that they run is very similar to the stuff that they ran when the big three was here. Uh, They don't even have Blake Griffin out there that I think would fill a lot of the role that KG filled for that team. Um, But Paul functions really well as a player coach on that team. And you, you saw that, once they get Blake back, assuming they get Blake back, they're going to be they're going to they're they're talented enough to compete for the title. Obviously the Warriors are on a different level and the Spurs are on a different level that's probably just below them. But anything could happen out there whether it's injuries or just a, a poor run of form and the Clippers look like a team that would that will be able to pounce. And they've played the Warriors Probably better than anyone, aside from the Celtics, mm-hmm. uh, which Doc will be quick to remind you of, of course. Yeah, but they've had they've lost every single time against the Warriors, but they've been very close games. My biggest takeaway about the Clippers from last night's game was JJ Redick. Yep, he was simply unguardable for stretches of that game, and I've kind of 
dislike JJ because he's a white dookie, but I respect his game thoroughly, and it's got a pretty decent podcast going on. I now know exactly what uh, his sleeve tattoo means, Mm -hmm. but there are some points (laughs) in that game where... He was coming off two screens, and both Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart were scrambling to guard him, just completely abandoning uh, Mabamute, which, as they should. But he still got shots off, and he I think he, he was just so much more impressive than I thought he was. And I was—they certainly have a chance against the Warriors. I'm not going to say they're doing it. They're going to do it. Their depth is certainly an issue when you're starting Mabamute, but— I was very impressed by the Clippers last night, especially when Chris Paul can go off for that that many points. You know, JJ is reminding me a lot of Ray Allen right now. I mean, he, I'd say maybe more latter stage Ray Allen when he wasn't as dominant with the ball, but he is so good moving around the court. You know, he he's, he's playing at kind of the same level like Kyle Korver was playing at a year ago, and it's and it's something that only as we see with Kyle Korver, it's really hard to pull that off. It's like almost impossible to pull it off. But he just move every step is with purpose with JJ. His body positioning coming off of screens, just he's he has such great awareness of how his body's positioned and how far he is from the rim. It's it's a, it's so exciting to see shooters play you know kind of play at that level. And there's usually only one or two guys in the league every single year that are doing it. And then this year, although Kevin Durant I guess would be the third, but it's it's Redick and it's Curry that are doing that this year. And his athleticism is just unbelievable. He's relentless. I haven't seen. Avery Bradley or Marcus Smart struggled to uh, guard anyone on the perimeter as much as they had or did last night with J.J. Redick. And there were many times where he was pretty well open for shots, which is I certainly was surprised because you think about the Celtics and you think of uh, their strength is perimeter defense. But the combination of Chris Paul, who they're kind of sagging off and letting him take the outside shot, and J.J. Redick— was certainly impressive last night. All right, enough praising one of our now podcast competitors. Oh which, yeah. By the way, I, I, when, once you're done listening to this podcast, you gotta check out Reddick's podcast. It's you know it's it's not. I wouldn't say it's the most amazing flow of any podcast I've listened to, like compared to ours. I was for instance, I was impressed. But it's by good. His... He's good for an active NBA player uh, who isn't getting who hasn't been practicing doing this for a living like we have for a while. I mean the guy the guy's good at what he's doing, and he obviously he's an NBA player, he's a really smart one, so he has a lot of great stuff to talk about. I've I've been enjoying that so far. And his first guest was Jared Dudley, who's one of the best people to talk to in the league. Anyone could talk to Jared Dudley for an hour and it would probably be entertaining. I would the Celtics need to trade for Jared Dudley just for so we're more entertained because that guy's one of the best uh, NBA minds. But that's enough about J.J. Redick and enough about the Clippers. Actually not, because we're about to talk to Kyle Draper, and our first question to him was about that Clippers game. So Kyle Draper from Comcast Sports in New England. What were your thoughts when they went down uh, in the beginning of overtime and it looked like the Clippers were just going to run away with it? Uh, you know, I-, I felt bad for Avery Bradley again. I thought, you know, for the second time in less than a week, he was going to be the GOAT. I mean, think about it. He fouled J.J. Redick on a three-pointer. J.J. got the three and the one. And then next position down, he found him on a, fouled him on a three. And I thought, oh, man, Avery Bradley, you just spotted him six points. And uh, it was interesting, though, because I should have known better because this Celtics team, man, they always battle back. But I thought the Clippers, if you look at the Clippers here recently, this is what they do. The Clippers have been really good at closing out games over the last couple of weeks. And I just thought – CP3, Reddick, those guys would take over. But once again, the Celtics, man, 
They're learning how to close out games. They're battling back. And uh, you're right, that was an incredible atmosphere and, and so many big shots as well. And it, I, I don't think any defense was being played out there. That's just my opinion. I mean, when you give up that many points, but uh, you don't see that too often in a good old-fashioned shootout like we used to have back in the day. And what was amazing was you're going up against a team with J.J. Redick was on fire and Chris Paul was on fire. I mean, Jamal Crawford threw up some awful shots, but he still is bound to make a few plays happen. But the Celtics had the guys that they wanted to be their three-point shooters hitting those shots. And whether it was Solinger or Bradley or Marcus, they were they actually they were missing their shots. After a hot start, they started missing their shots, but were able to pick it back up. And that's something we haven't really seen them do. It tends to be either a hot start, and then it just mm-hmm. kind of consistently falls off the map as far as shooting is concerned, or the opposite way. Yeah, I mean, this team is so hot and cold usually uh, when it comes to shooting. It's amazing. You know, one game they'll go 10 of 15 or something like that, 12 of 25 or, you know, close to 50 percent then the next game we'll have like a three of 19 or a six of 19 or something like that and you're right about that uh they started off hot like you said they were knocking down the threes third quarter they they took maybe some ill-advised threes but then uh there were a couple of no 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 don't take this okay good shot moments in that game like the Sullinger one he was wide open but when's the last time Sullinger hit a three i mean He's been awful uh, from behind the arc this season. And so it, they hit some timely three-pointers. Jay Crowder, once again, we know about him and the three-point shot and especially the timely threes. And so you're right about that. Uh, it, it's interesting that the Celtics were the ones making the big shots. And I think that, that goes to show you just where this team is at right now. Because we talk, oh, they don't have a closer. They don't have that one guy. Well, we saw last night they had a number of guys that hit big shots down the stretch. How valuable is a guy like Evan Turner? He didn't really do much in the first four quarters, and then in overtime where Isaiah only scored two points, Turner scores seven straight. How much do you think that helps Isaiah, especially in, uh, in crunch time where he doesn't have to be the guy at every single possession? You know, that's a good point because I, I asked Brad Stevens about this uh, last week. We were talking about the rotations, and I asked him about the end-of-game rotations where he runs that lineup of Marcus Smart uh, Evan Turner and Isaiah Thomas out there at times. And then even they go even smaller and throw out an Avery Bradley or something like that. And he said the reason he does that is he likes to have multiple pick and rolls. He likes to run multiple pick and rolls in any given set. And I've been telling guys all season long, Evan Turner is a valuable member of this team. You know, sure, he may have some nights where, you know, he turns the ball over or the shot's not going. Obviously, he's struggling from three-point line uh, this season. But down the stretch... One-on-one, Evan Turner can take almost anybody in the league. And we saw that uh, last night against the Clippers. It it was Evan Turner who, you know, had like three buckets in a row, I think it was, for the Celtics. And so uh, Evan doesn't lack confidence. You guys know that. Y'all see him in the locker room. And Mm. so this wasn't some sort of breakthrough moment for him. This dude thinks he could do that every single game. And so that's why I think he's such a valuable piece on this team because it's not just – on Isaiah down the stretch to create his own shot, even though he did that uh, last night against the Clippers, you know, going against DeAndre Jordan a couple of times. But I think Evan Turner down the stretch, that's when he's at his best. I'm glad you bring up Evan Turner because it's a good way for us to plug that we have an interview with him coming up after we're done with Drapes here. Uh, but nice. with with Evan, he's someone that no matter how many shots he misses, he will go into his next shot with the absolute confidence that he is Michael Jordan reincarnated. And, and which I'm sure is a comparison that he would draw himself if he were here. But 
he in that shot that he hit over DeAndre Jordan, he pulled up and didn't really rush his release. This was the one in overtime that really kind of opened up the mm-hmm. lead for them. He didn't rush his release. He used his typical form. He didn't even take a high trajectory shot. It was kind of a low line drive shot. And that's with seven foot twelve DeAndre Jordan coming right at him there. <laughs> and with Turner, it seems that his confidence in his dribbling skills has really improved to the point that he feels that he can take anybody. He'll throw a couple crossovers at them, a hesitation, but his step back is what really makes him effective because just like Isaiah Thomas, he gets so much distance when he does those little hard drives and then step back mm-hmm. crossovers and he pulls into that shot and it allows him to shoot comfortably. And like, how, you know, guys very rarely actually get rejected on jump shots, but guys will often rush their jump shots thinking, thinking that they're going to get rejected. And he just, he doesn't even see the hand in his face. He just goes through it smoothly and one motion. And that's what I thought made him so effective at the end of the game there. Yeah. And I, I think the game slows down for him there at the end. I mean, he always seems to be, you know, comfortable taking that last shot, taking a big shot. He gets to his spots. Mike Gorman said it on the broadcast, I think it was the other day, that Evan Turner knows exactly his spots on the floor. Sure, he's not a three-point shooter, and he honestly reluctantly takes those threes now. You see him hesitating sometimes out there on that three, but he knows you know, from 15 to 17, he's money. And so the thing I like about Evan Turner's shot is, it's sort of a quick release, you know. It's like a deceptive quick release, you know. And and he can get it off so fast that I think it catches, uh, you know, defenders off guard a little bit. And you're right about that, man, when it comes to, you know, just him being confident, comfortable. Like I said, I feel like it slows down for him at the end. And outside of Isaiah Thomas, I thought last year Evan Turner was the Celtics' most valuable player. He was one of the biggest reasons that they made it to the uh, playoffs last year. And so I'm glad he's still a part of this team, man, because I, I think they need somebody like that down the stretch of late in games. Is that going to continue after the trade deadline next season? I mean, how, <laughs> What's the future hold for him? That's a good question. Uh, his deal is up, right? He only signed a two-year deal with the Celtics. He's off the books. Uh, he becomes a free agent, if I'm correct, after this season. That's so right. either if it's trade deadline or... or I would like to have Evan back because, to me, this feels like the first time where he fits. You know, Indiana was not a good fit for him, obviously. I feel like they have a specific role for Evan on this team. And, I mean, think about it. He's a bench player, you know, averaging double figures. You'll take it, you know. And so I I think Evan Turner has found a home here with the Celtics team. With that being said, how much of a priority does Danny Ainge place on him this offseason you know you may have some bigger fish to fry whether it's you know a rumor trade with Al Horford and trying to re-sign him or somebody else but uh, I would like to see Evan Turner back all right I'm going to be the the negative guy here and uh, it's always one there's always (laughs) one out there (laughs) last night Amir Johnson only played 14 minutes and it seemed like a game where you could definitely use his defense especially down the stretch where they're using um, Jarebko a lot on DeAndre Jordan and this has been kind of a pattern for Amir Johnson where it seems like once every five games he'll play around 15 minutes. And I don't really understand it because I haven't heard anything, any injury updates or anything about his ankles. We all know that's been a problem for him. Uh, what's your thought on Amir Johnson's performance so far this season? Because when he plays well, the Celtics are usually winning that game. But then sometimes he's just not on the floor. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting because you're right. When when he's you know putting up good numbers, the Celtics are usually you know at their best. And I just think Brad, you know, he has so many options, and it 
let's be honest, Amir missed a couple of easy bunnies uh, last night in that first half of that game, and even in the third quarter to start the third quarter. And so he didn't have it going. And I think the luxury Brad has is, you know, he can see throughout the game who has it going, who doesn't have it going. I mean, it was just a couple weeks ago when Kelly Olenek, you know, only played a handful of minutes. Jared Selinger only played six minutes, I think it was, in the second half of the game uh, last week. And so I just think Brad, he, he rides whoever is playing well that game. Uh, Jarebko uh, actually played a huge role in that game. He had a couple of back-to-back buckets. Uh, I think it was in the fourth quarter during that comeback uh, there. And so it's interesting with Amir because they like him so much and they speak so highly of him. But then you see a game like last night and he doesn't play a whole lot. And, and so I don't know what, what to say about that, but I will say that's not surprising because when you look at this team, the, everything we've been saying all season long is they have so much depth. You know, guys four through eight are interchangeable. Four through nine are, you know, interchangeable. And so Brad decided to roll the dice, and Amir wasn't getting it done last night. Let's just be honest. And uh, it proved to be the right decision because I thought Jarebko made a couple of key plays late in that game. Is I mean, is, how big of a role is health going to play down the stretch here? Because we see Jay Crowder has been dealing with an ankle issue. We know Amir Johnson is always going to be dealing with ankle issues. Kelly Olenek has a shoulder subluxation that it's not clear how long he's going to miss. Um, I mean, the the team is getting beat up, and the depth has been really valuable. But there's a I mean, there's especially with trade season only a week away. There's ch- there's a chance that that depth is going to be chipped away. I mean, what what do the Celtics prioritize here from a health standpoint? Do they sacrifice? Uh, rotational minutes for guys to make sure that they're playing a very light load and stay healthy? Well, that's a good question because when you look at it, I mean, everybody on this team plays an integral part. I I would feel like Marcus Smart, Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, and Jay Crowder are the guys that you need to be healthy. We saw earlier this season when Smart missed that extended time, the team you know, was so inconsistent, was so up and down. We know about Isaiah Thomas and how valuable he is and Jay Crowder. And then if you look at the rest of the Eastern Conference, it seems like everybody's dealing with injuries, whether it's Chicago, you know, Kevin Love, the Cleveland, they say he's going to be okay, but injuries are huge. And so that's the one thing I think that could derail the Celtics' momentum here is uh, injuries. And I was uh, talking to Chris Mannix or Scal or somebody the other day, and I said, Isaiah Thomas, can he continue this heavy workload? Can he perform at this high level for 82 games? And so if I'm Brad Stevens, maybe I do reduce his workload, just maybe a game or two, do a great Popovich, you know, especially late in the season when you feel like, you know, you're, you're going to make the playoffs. And, and so maybe you try to rest him. Isaiah wouldn't like that. You know that, guys. He wants to play 48 minutes every single night. But, That'll be interesting. I think health is an important factor. And how about Jay Crowder? You mentioned all his bumps and bruises and everything, but yet he started every game this season. I don't think Jay wants to miss a game. I mean, you got guys that want to be out there every single uh, night, but Brad may have to at some point sit somebody down just because I just think Isaiah, and now he's in the All-Star game, so he's not really going to get a big break. And I I just feel like you know it, it would be good for him to get maybe a game or two in the second half of the season. So I have here written in my notes, IT the God, and he has been a godlike figure in Boston for the past few months. Uh, something snapped in his brain where he just, he realized it's like the Neo at the end of the Matrix with him, where he's just seeing everything in ones and zeros now, 
and his control on the ball, his control on the uh, over a defense. He has just been toying with opponents in the in crunch time so frequently. He I, I can't tell you how many game stories that I've written. I'm sure Sam has written where. The lead is IT bails out the Celtics again. IT comes through in the clutch. IT pretty much puts the offense on his tiny little shoulders at the end of the game. We do a we do a studs and duds column. And oh, yeah. I had to stop making Isaiah Thomas the stud just because it was so boring to write the same thing every single night. He's a stud. He's a thoroughbred. And he has been so great. And I'm even thinking about whether he's going to be getting MVP votes at the end of the season. I mean, fifth, oh, now, fifth now, place, on, fifth now, place MVP <laughs> votes. Don't forget, you get you get to select five guys up there. So all right, all right, all right. definitely not. He's definitely not up in that top class. But he has been so incredibly valuable for this team, and he's he's been the ju- he's been that catalyst that kept the team afloat when Smart went down. And Smart is mm-hmm. such a crucial part of their identity as a team. But then when Smart got back into his rhythm. And Isaiah continue to dominate offensively. We've seen them go on this incredible run to propel them to the top of the East. What- yeah, and you, you guys remember early in the season, before the season, everybody was saying Isaiah's best suited coming off the bench. We don't know if he can, you know, play big minutes and, and defend, you know, starting point guards and all this and all that. And he's just laughed at us. He's made us look like fools. And the thing about Isaiah that uh, surprises me is we saw him against matched up against DeAndre Jordan, and he just took it right to DeAndre. He had a couple of buckets late, you know, the step back, like like you mentioned with Evan Turner. I mean, and Isaiah, I think, is one of the toughest people to guard because he has every trick in the book. He'll pull up from three from you. He'll, uh, you know, stop and pop. He'll take it all the way to the hole. He finishes excellent in traffic. And so I just think this Isaiah Thomas situation is perfect for him. Think about it. Everywhere he's been, he's had to either – a share the the starting you know share the the load or or at least you know subvert his game back a little bit. In Sacramento, we all know it was Demarcus Cousins' team. Even down there in Phoenix, they had Dragic and Bledsoe, and so I just think this is the first time where it's Isaiah's team, and he's taking the ball and run with it this season. It was funny. He was asked last night about the the kind of current situations in Sacramento and Phoenix, and if he's happy to be in Boston right now. And he let out one of those mm-hmm. smirks, and he, he just gave a nice uh, deflected answer and just said he was happy to be where he was. But you can tell he's much happier. And every single interview you hear him do, do he talks about how the Celtics have just let him be him. And it's amazing. I'm shocked he actually made that shot against DeAndre Jordan last night in the fourth quarter. And some of the times he finishes around the rim, I just don't know how you practice that. Like, the angles he is able to manipulate the ball to go into the basket is absurd. And it just, at this point, it just doesn't really make sense. And I'm constantly amazed by him. And the knock on him as the starter, or at least to begin the season, was he's not that good on defense. He's going to be exploited. And I think he's really improved his defense this year, especially uh, positionally. He's always uh, in the passing lanes and he's getting his hands mm-hmm. there. There's going to be times where he's um, posted up, and we've seen teams kind of get out of their offense to focus all their attention on posting up Isaiah. But his defensive improvement has been one of the reasons why Jared can even say something as absurd as uh, getting an MVP vote. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing, and it's not only Isaiah, and I do give him a lot of credit defensively, but this Celtics team is so great at deflections, getting the hands or balls in the passing lanes, uh, trying to, you know, especially early on this season, they, they were great at stopping uh, opposing guards from getting into the lane. They've slipped back in that area a little bit. But I just think the Celtics team defense, even though they gave up, you know, a million points uh, against the Clippers, I just think that the Celtics team defense 
allows them to uh, keep Isaiah out there. I mean, we saw a couple of times where, where teams went right at Isaiah early on, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the game, but they, they took Isaiah down low on the post uh, three or four times in a row. It might have been that Knicks game. Uh, uh, yeah, they, it was with Aaron Aflalo. Aaron Aflalo just abused him down low on the first few possessions, and so Brad had to take him out uh, early. But you're right about the defense. I mean, it hasn't been the liability so many people predicted. Well, and a lot of people just look at Isaiah's stature and they, they think about just the idea of everyone's going to be able to shoot over him and stuff like that. But that pretty much has not happened at all. I mean, he's he's never he's never really giving up more than four to five inches on an opposing point guard. So he's but he's done a really good job of working on his feet positioning while being an on ball defender. And he's just so good at recovering against other guys. He's so I mean, he's one of the most agile players in the last probably decade in the NBA. Um but They've they've done a good job strategically of hiding him when they need to on defense, mm-hmm. trying to get him away from pick and rolls where he gets exposed because the team switches a lot on pick and rolls and he ends up on big men that are able to post him and kind of run run through him into the lane. They've done a really good job of hiding him in the corner stuff like that. But he stepped up whenever he's needed to and he had to step up a lot defensively in that Clipper game and he held his own regardless of whether he was on Chris Paul getting switched onto off guards. He's he's just he's shown that. Effort is the most important thing on defense. It's more important than size, athleticism. It's really all about effort and intelligence. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's that toughness that he has too. I mean, that competitiveness. I mean, it's nobody wants to get abused uh, defensively out there, and he's a tough guy. You know, I mean, how many times have we seen him sky on the inside for rebounds? You know, with with bigger guys in there, and we're like, how did Isaiah? come up with that rebound and I just think that's his competitiveness and and that chip on his shoulder man you talk about his drives to the basket I mean there was one time I think he got it at about half court and he just exploded you know three three dribbles and then exploded to the rim and and so it's just that fearlessness man that toughness that he plays with out there all right, the Celtics are 13-4, and four, I believe, in their last 17 games, and one of the major reasons has been the improved play of Marcus Smart. Now, we have, there's been all this talk about the snow day practice, where all of a sudden he turned into a mythical three-point shooter. Is that the real Marcus Smart? What can we expect from him moving forward? It's not like he takes the best shots. He takes a lot of kind of circus threes, but they happen to go in. Uh, what, what do you think we can expect from um, Smart from the offensive end uh, for the rest of the season? No, I don't want to call him a you know Kyle Korver or anything like that now. <laughs> you know, just because he's been on this nice uh, roll uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, no doubt he's improved that that three point shooting. But I need to see more. You know, I, I, to me, it's still uh, too small of a sample size. I mean, we saw Kelly Olynyk. Who was he shooting? You know, fifty percent since December first, uh, and so. I'm still not thinking Kelly's a 50% three-point shooter, but, you know, with Marcus Smart, that's going to be key. Uh, I think the key for him, though, is because he's always taken the three guys. Let's not get it twisted. He's always felt like he could knock down the three, but I like the fact now that he's not just relying solely on the three-point shot as his only means of offense. I mean, he's getting into the lane a lot more here over the last couple of weeks, and that's the thing I'm most impressed with. Uh, he's been knocking down that corner three, no doubt about that, and, and the late in the shot clock three that he's been knocking down. But I, I still need to see a, a little bit more before I just – go ahead and say he's a 40% three-point shooter, you know, throughout the season. Well, he is shooting 38% in six games in February, so that's definitely a nice start there. 
Um, mm-hmm. In the I liked in the Clipper game, he had the one play where he was streaking as like a trail and transition, and they they like threw him a pass. It was like a lead pass in stride. He caught it and stepped like really hard into the three and nailed it with a guy in his face. And we usually see him taking either spot up threes or off the dribble threes. He doesn't get to step into a three that often. So I think the team is starting to figure out ways to get him better three point looks as opposed to him either getting, you know, having to dribble kind of like taking a three as like a bailout after a failed dribble drive or just being stuck in the corner. Yeah. And that goes back to his confidence too. I mean, the dude is confident. I think everybody on this team is, is confident in their shot. Uh, Even Sollinger, Let's be honest, those first couple of months of the season, the guy was in a rut big time. But here, over the last two weeks or so, he's really been knocking down the long two-point jumper. And so I just think everybody's confidence is high right now. You know, Jay Crowder, we saw him in December, you know, crushing it at the three-point line. And now his confidence is high. And it's a wonder, you know, what confidence does for a ball player. Because if you don't think you're going to miss, you know, a lot of times you'll knock down shots and improve your percentage. And that's what we're seeing from the Celtics. All right, Kyle, you've been around this team for a while, um, and this is a question I've been thinking about a lot over the past couple of weeks. You talk about the confidence and the, the kind of camaraderie between this team. Do you think this team has a, a go-to leader? Is there one guy in the locker room who they all turn to? Because I've been thinking about it, and no one really stands out as the, the person. No, I, I don't think there's one voice of the locker room, one guy who, you know, is that guy that, uh, you know, is the leader in there. I will say I feel like they have several leaders. I think Marcus Smart is a leader. We heard it last year, even his rookie season, you know, how talkative he was, how much of a leader he was. Isaiah Thomas, obviously. And don't sleep on Jay Crowder as a leader. I mean, I just think, you know, no one's really afraid to speak up on this team. Uh, It was interesting, a couple of weeks ago uh, they had been struggling and uh, had lost a game or two, and they, they had a conference call before the game, you know, the night before the game, to hammer things out and talk about how big this upcoming game was. And I just think, you know, it's a, it's a team full of guys who aren't afraid to get on each other. We mentioned Jay. We mentioned Isaiah. I think Evan Turner, even to an extent, you know, he's a veteran inside the locker room. Uh, I, I would imagine Avery is probably one of the quieter ones. He probably leads by example. But uh, they, they, they don't have that one guy, but they got a few guys, I feel like, that, that are, aren't afraid to step up and talk. Tell me about this conference call. This is the first I'm hearing about this. What, what, what went down yeah, there? Yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure out which game it was. Uh, it was sometime in January. My mind is uh, killing me right now, but it was the, the day before a game, and I don't know if they had lost one in a row, no, back-to-back games, two in a row, three in a row, whatever it was. This was a long time but, ago uh, then. Yeah, yeah, this was like, I think, early January it might have been. And, uh, yeah, they had a conference call, you know, the night before a game. Uh, and, and they just talk about, all right, this is a big game, guys. What do we need to do? And, and this was a players-only kind of thing. This wasn't a coaching-initiated thing. And so ask Kevin Turner about it. I, I can't remember which game it was, but I, I heard it about a month or so ago, a little more than a month ago. And so, and then they came out and they won the game. And so... It's uh that shows you how close this team is, how how tight knit this team is. It's something that I think the players have generally reflected is that they do spend I think they spend enough time with each other that the chemistry shows because there's just kind of that ingrained communication ability and it's something that you get when you actually spend time off the court, for instance, Cleveland Cavaliers, or you actually trust each other 
beyond just like the oh i'm gonna make the past kind of level but that you're, you're gonna make the right decision that you're in the right mindset that you've prepared and that's the big thing that this team seems to have over last year's teams and other teams around the league is i think there's a level of confidence in each other's preparedness and deter- and kind of level of focus and that's something that you don't really think about from an X's and O's standpoint is how important is that just to know that the other guy out there is going to make the right play and that makes you more confident to stay at home or uh, on your side of the play or just to do your small part of the play. Yeah, you mentioned that trust that that they have for each other. And also, I might add, because there's no superstar on this team, you don't have to walk on eggshells around each other. I mean, think about it. When Rajon Rondo was here, you know, Guys were afraid to be themselves, I feel like, around that team early uh, last season. And so you don't have to walk on eggshells with this group. Uh, you're not, you know, uh, afraid of anybody. It's no one's team. You know, it's Brad's team, Danny's team. It's not a player's team. You know, uh, I look at a team like Cleveland. Let's say LeBron was on Boston. It would be LeBron's team, and, and guys would, would walk on eggshells around him and, and, and be afraid of LeBron. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like these guys are afraid of each other, and I think it helps it manifest itself out on the court, that trust factor. Kyle, you must be a uh, multimedia professional because that's the perfect segue. Uh, we have to talk to you about the trade deadline. It's only a week away. Do you think the Celtics need to make a deal? Do you think they should go out and add someone at risk of losing that chemistry that they have right now? That's a great question because – I feel like if they want to be considered true contenders in the Eastern Conference, really a, a, a legitimate team chance to make the NBA Finals, they do need to make a move. Everybody's talking about Al Horford. I would love Al Horford because I, I feel like they need better production from their four and five spots. If you look at it, this team is so guard-heavy and guard-oriented. I think a, a reliable scorer in the front court, a guy like Al Horford, I'm not saying 25 points per game, 15, 16 every given night. Right now, they really don't have that. Some nights, Sullinger, some nights, Amir, maybe Kelly, you know, and so it, it would be nice where it wasn't, you know, just strictly the guards doing all the scoring. And and with that being said, Al Horford's about to be a free agent. Maybe you try to get him in free agency. The thing is, if you're Boston, you have to try and get somebody in the fold, however, before free agency hits because they haven't been able to sign a major free agent. And so let's say you trade for Al Horford. That would give you the inside track to re-sign him this offseason. And so you may have to tinker with the chemistry now to be better, not only this year, but in the future as well. And so I can't see them landing a major free agent. And so the only way to get a big-name guy like that, to get a proven all-star, is to make a trade. And so that's that's the thing about Danny Ainge. Like, he even admitted a month ago that he didn't think this was a championship-caliber team. He may have changed his opinion, you know, a a little bit with this recent play. But uh, if it's not a championship-caliber team, you have to put yourself in position to become a championship-caliber team. And how do you do that? If you're the Celtics, it's by way of trade. It's definitely not by way of free agency because we haven't seen that happen for this team uh, in in forever. So if there's a big deal to be made, if I'm Danny Ainge, I'm pulling the trigger. If there's an Al Horford you can acquire, I'm pulling the trigger on it. Well, you know, Danny Ainge also just said that he doesn't think the Hawks are going to be moving any of their guys. So 
I, I yeah, think, I think I Danny's think making so. some uh, diplomatic moves here to try to recalibrate the proposed <laughs> asking price after that report of Justice Winslow for four draft picks kind of set the market for Ainge's uh, assets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I do know the Hawks and uh, Celtics have had conversations, you know, but we're still a week away from the trade deadline, and so I think things will intensify. But if you're the Hawks, why blow it up right now? I mean, you're 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 you know you're right there in the thick of things. Anything can happen outside of Cleveland. You probably can can beat any team in the Eastern Conference. So who's to say Kyrie won't get hurt? Who's to say Love won't get hurt? LeBron or somebody like that. And so if I'm a team like the Atlanta Hawks or the Raptors or or somebody that's right there, Miami, uh, even the Celtics to an extent, if you were trying to compete this year. Maybe you don't make a move. Like I don't under- I don't understand why Atlanta would if they were the seventh or eighth seed or barely scraping by for a playoff spot, then I would try to blow it up, but I don't think now's the time to do it. I would maybe make some changes in the off season if I'm them, but not right now. All right. The the latest rumor that's been out there is the Rockets are reportedly working on trades for Dwight Howard, trying to get him out of town. They've they figured out that him and Harden will not work together. Now, considering that, you think the asking price would be a little bit lower than Al Horford. Is there any reason why the Celtics should uh, should take a look at Dwight? You know, I go back and forth on uh, Dwight, to be honest with you, because I may be in the minority, but I actually like his game. I, I really, you know, I think defensively he's still very strong. Rebounding, we know about that. I even think he's a better offensive player than people get him give him credit for, but it's the other stuff I worry about him, uh, his, his work ethic, his commitment to be great, uh, is he a team locker room kind of guy, and so that, that would be my reservations. Basketball-wise, I think it would be a great move. If you look at Detroit, and one of the things that Reggie Jackson said, you know, helps him the most is having a guy like Andre Drummond on the pick and roll is that he can just throw a lob to, and teams have to account for him rolling it. Can you imagine Isaiah Thomas, Dwight Howard pick and roll? I mean, just just how much attention you'd have to pay to both those guys. Think about it. If you got Isaiah coming down the mid- on one side of the lane, Dwight rolling on the other, everybody has to collapse in the paint to try and defend that. And then you got shooters on the outside. You got Kelly Olenek, Avery Bradley, those guys on the outside. And so I think basketball-wise, it does make sense for this team. And one of the issues for the Celtics their perimeter defense against, you know, some of the best guards in the league, I don't think they do a good job stopping penetration. And so when you got a guy like Dwight Howard back there who can block shots, I think it masks a lot of mistakes on the perimeter defensively. And so I think basketball-wise, I would try to make it happen. But it's the other stuff that comes with Dwight, the baggage, you know. Is he going to pout? Is he going to moan about shots? Is he not going to be a locker room guy? And so that's that's what I would worry about if I'm Danny Ainge. I'm on board with you there. I think the only the only real concern with Dwight is in the locker room because mm-hmm. he I I mean he he would definitely change the way they run their offensive system because their mm-hmm. offensive system is so well built on having the bigs being able to move out to the three point line. And right. we, we know Dwight's Dwight's not going to be able to rotate anywhere out beyond 15 feet. Although he can take a 15 foot jumper once in a while. The I mean the other question is health. Um, he he just he hasn't looked healthy for consistent stretches mm-hmm. in a couple of years now. But he's still a great defender. He's still one of the best defenders in the NBA. And while 
people in Boston have gotten used to not having a great shot blocker underneath, and this team is thriving defensively without it. The team is thriving defensively because of how great they are on the perimeter, uh, at least at forcing turnovers and exerting ball pressure. But when they when they get caught in five on four situations, the guys down low often have trouble making those stops. And you put in you know one of the best low post defenders in the last twenty years, who still is as good as he ever really has been at that. I mean, they're going to be they're probably the best defensive team in the NBA, although the Warriors will definitely give them a run at that. But they they would be incredible that way. It's just a matter of does it it means that they have to be better at three point shooting than they have been this year if they are going to adapt their offense to him. And then the question is, what personnel do they have to give up to get him? Because there's going to be a lot of situations where he's not going to be playing at the end of the game because of his poor free throw shooting. And we saw how that hurt the Clippers last night. And, of course, that Detroit has gone through that, and Houston has gone through that this year. But Houston, it really seems like they're in a panic mode, and he could be available for a few draft picks and one good, you know, one solid young talent. Yeah, and they, they don't use him properly out there in Houston. And, I, honestly, I didn't think Orlando used Dwight enough uh, offensively uh, down there. You know, the guy's shooting 60% from the field, but yet, you know, even in Orlando, he was, third in, in shots or something like that. You know, Ryan Anderson was getting shots. The same amount of shots as Dwight Howard, and we see it in Houston. You know, he's really an afterthought offensively. And so I think you can, you know, everybody's talking, oh, he's only averaging 14 and whatever it is. Uh, I mean, to me, he's a 17 and 13 kind of guy, you know, in his sleep uh, if you give him the ball. And so, uh, like I said, I think offensively, you know, him and Isaiah Thomas – that pick and roll combination would, would be unstoppable, and, and then it would create open shots. And, and so you're right. And defensively, you mentioned it. I mean, the guy is still an athletic freak. I mean, he still is Superman that touched the top of the backboard. And so uh, he's an intimidating force down there. And so why not go out there and get him? You know, everybody talks about these Brooklyn picks and that kind of thing. And uh, I'm, the, I'm of the belief that the Brooklyn pick is not as valuable as everyone's making it out to be. I think when it's all said and done, Brooklyn will have the fourth worst record, and it could go either way. Sure, they can get a you know top one, two, or three, but it also could be a five or six if somebody jumps up and bumps you out. And so, I would rather get a proven all star right now instead of you know the potential of something. Well, let's talk about those draft picks because right now the Celtics are due for three uh, first rounders next year, and I think five second rounders. They also have nine guaranteed rosters spots um, for the team next year. There's just not enough space if they're going to draft three new players. It just doesn't seem very realistic. If there's stars not available, would you be, if you're Danny Ainge, open to kind of dealing one of those picks for maybe the Dallas pick for kind of a, a smaller player that would make an impact, maybe like a Shabazz of Muhammad's been rumored, or maybe buying low on someone like a crazy Markeith Morris? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd give up a first-rounder for those guys. Shabazz has shown flashes this season. He came in in better shape, but uh, I'm still trying to figure out where exactly he fits in with this roster. You know, I heard about those rumors as well. And so, I don't know. That's a good question. But you're right. You can't draft. Use all the picks. I mean, you can't have three more rookies on this team after drafting, you know, three rookies last year. And so... I think you've got to move some of those picks. And if I'm Danny Ainge, I'm sure you'd like to move, you know, either your pick or or the Dallas pick, package that with the David Lee to get a superstar kind of guy or a big kind of name guy. But I don't I don't know if that guy is out there. 
I wouldn't give it up just for the sake of giving it up. Not at the trade deadline, anyway. Talk to me, you know, in, in May and June when we get closer to the lottery and the NBA draft, then you try to deal those picks. Uh, but but I don't think if you're Danny you want to draft all those p- positions. All right, Drapes, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you when the Celtics have Al Horford and Dwight Howard in their starting <laughs> front court. Enjoy. Exactly. Throw in Kyle Korver, too. Why don't you? you there know, you go. For good measure. <laughs> hey, you can never have enough Kyles in Boston, right? Exactly. Exactly. Thanks right. for having me on, guys. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, that was Kyle Draper of Comcast Sportsnet. Does a bit of everything. I was meaning to ask him if he's ever, uh, Jared Sollinger's ever thrown a towel on him because that just seems disrespectful, and I don't know how Chris Mannix puts up with it. What, you mean trade bait? Trade bait. That was a good, that was a good response uh, the other night. Um, that was a nice way to report something. Oh, I, yeah. that would be awesome if you actually uh, had that rumor and um, was working it. But let's move forward to uh, interview with Evan Turner. Before last night's game, uh, everyone was waiting around. All the press was waiting around to talk to Doc and talk to Paul Pierce and... I showed up a little bit late. I was in the back. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't hear what Doc was saying. I couldn't hear what Paul was saying. So I went into the uh, the Celtics locker room. Decided to have a little sit down interview with uh, the main man Et. Um, I asked him a number of questions. It was really a, a bunch of random things that had kind of been in my head for a while. But he says some interesting things, especially about free agency, um, the media. Uh, while he was in Philly, he gives some insight into uh, Brad Stevens, what he's like off the court. So here it is, uh, my conversation with uh, Evan before the Clippers game on Wednesday night. It feels like you've done a really good job of kind of getting to exactly where you want to go in the spot and be able to pull up yeah. the elbows. Is that something you're looking to do? Or is it- yeah, I think that's always been my MO to a certain extent. Uh, the biggest thing is the biggest thing is not, uh, you know, looking for the past too much. I think sometimes I, I get myself in trouble looking for the past too much and and not being as aggressive, but, you know, I've always been confident with getting, getting into my spots and getting into my shots, and, uh, you know, I think I've been finishing relatively well, and, uh, you know, my pull-ups been going in, but, you know, I think as late as taking my shots when I have them, sometimes I'll over, overlook for somebody else, so it, it's been working well. All right, um, you seem to have a pretty good relationship with uh, Coach Stevens. Um, yeah. He seems kind of hyper-focused on basketball. Is there anything you can tell us about Stevens uh, off the court that we wouldn't know? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, don't, I think, you know, he knows when to work and he knows when to enjoy himself. You know, he pays Do you give t- us any idea of how he enjoys himself other than watching film? I think he likes watching sports just as much as anybody. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's a Cubs fan. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's aware of, of sports, you know, football and, and things like that. And he reads books, and you know, he, I mean, he has two energetic kids. You know what I'm saying? So, obviously, like spending time with them when he gets a chance. And we have a cool, you know, we have a cool staff. So he he hangs out, he has fun, and he, you know, he jokes just you as much as nothing. Kind of music he listens to? Nah, I can only imagine country. Country? Yeah, you know, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if it's country. How old is Brad? Thirty-eight. Maybe, I mean, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe he might listen to rap. Or, nah, no, no. You guys ever hear, heard him listen to rap? It's probably just country, huh? Yeah, probably country. Yeah, I mean his kids probably like it. Yeah, so probably country more than <laughs> more than anything. He's from Indiana. All right, and then um, obviously with the, the logo shirt and the ET for president, I was wondering. Uh, we got the New Hampshire primaries just happened. I wonder what your platform would be for your candidacy for president. I don't know. It's, the presence would just be enough. You know what I'm saying? Like and. 
That's, that's it, you that's know? It. You just can show up? Yeah, just show yeah. up and, and keep it real, man. Once, once I get in front of the microphone, I should, I'll be able to win everybody over, you know? Just improvise? Improvise. It's already all been written, you know what I'm saying? It's already been set. You ask me a question, I'll tell my honest to God answer. <laughs> that's all it. Right. Uh, we got eight days off after tonight. You got any special plans for the break? Yeah, I'm uh, just going to Jamaica tomorrow, and then uh, I'll be in Ohio for the little... Uh, what the hell is it? A little jury ceremony. ceremony, yeah. And then that's it. Once we stay out of trouble once again. Try to keep that streak alive. <laughs> How long is that streak going? When was the last time you in trouble? Last time I was in trouble. I don't know. It's been 27 great years. <laughs> no problems, you know? So. Um, Speaking of Ohio State, uh, the Ohio State. The Ohio State, I apologize. Yeah. Uh, do you ever read um, Mark Titus's book? Now, I never checked it out because I was there for it. Uh, I've heard certain stories, and obviously, you know, it's funny, but it's kind of super embellished. So, you know, I, I think Titus is a cool dude. I always thought he was a, a great dude. I think uh, some of the stuff he obviously wrote is his own personal opinion. And, uh, I mean, I, I think it's full of shit. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, people enjoyed it and stuff like that. And, uh you know, he got from it what he wanted to get from it, and um, that's it. That's all I really think of. Too deep, too deep into it. I'm not one to, you know, put locker room business onto a book for my own personal gain. But hey, you know, he did it. He, he, he rocked with it, and uh, you know, once again, that club trail thing he did a lot. A great charity things, you know what I'm saying? And uh, you know, I, I respect him for what he did charity wise. But the whole. Didn't appreciate the nickname he gave you. No, I mean it's, it's mostly. I mean it's a joke. Like he and I, you know, I probably called him way worse. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He was, uh, you know, a jackass. <laughs> you know, and he probably, you know, thought I was billing. But you know, we had that type of relationship where we always joked, you know, joked around, and you know, uh, you know, enjoyed ourselves along that part. I think one thing you, he, he kind of undermined was like he got made fun of just as much as he hooked with us. You know what I'm saying? So. But it's still, I mean, it's cool. I think people enjoy the book and they enjoy the movement, you know. Would you ever write a book like that? About other any books? Any interest? If I wrote a book, it'd be about myself. I wouldn't write a book about somebody. <laughs> but people, there'd be characters in that book, like people you interact with. Ohio State, you have any interest in kind of telling your story? Nah, I, I don't. I've never really sat down and thought of it. I've always been told I should because, you know, adversity I've overcame and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, I, I think this, it's too early to write a book, you know what I'm saying? So. Maybe eventually one day, I guess. But nah, I mean, it's, I tell people, I mean, I sit down and talk to you and have a conversation. feels right to open up about it. You know, I don't, I don't really like so much stuff personally on blast. I think sometimes people, not take it the wrong way, but I don't, I appreciate every situation I've ever been in, whether good or bad. I don't need, like, a pat on the back, you know. All right, sorry, I just thought of another one. Um, What's up? You looking forward to being a free agent this summer, with, especially with the, kind of the cap going up and the contracts they're going around? No, I haven't really thought about it, to tell you the truth. I'm, I'm looking forward to the summer, I'll tell you that much. But, uh, I mean, I don't really look at that stuff as much as most people do, you know. The biggest thing is just, you know, continue to find a uh, situation where, you know, my, my talents can be used in the right way, and, uh, and I'm happy to show up to work and play ball. You know, obviously... We'll all be blessed enough to make money doing what we love, but you know, I, I, 
I just want to continue to find my inner peace and happiness and enjoying myself on the court and, and being able to play with guys and be in an atmosphere where I enjoy being there, you know. You, you, that's a underrated aspect in a lot of things, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, free agency, I don't know when it opens up, but whenever it happens, we'll take care of it when it does, you know. You think guys uh, kind of ignore that as atmosphere as- aspect or kind of chase money or not take into consideration? I mean, I think sometimes I think sometimes people may may do that, you know, and, and you know, sometimes they may not know, you know. Sometimes leaving the situation is already great is uh, – it's always the ideal thing. It's like what Tayshawn Prince told me back in the day when he won championship and he was a big deal or whatnot, and they, people want to move. He's like, look, I like being here, so it's my agent's job to get me the most money I could possibly do to be here because it's where I'm happy at. And it's, I'm good, but there's reasons why I benefit from being here. You understand what I'm saying? So, you know, I'm, I'm more realistic in that, in that aspect. I've been in situations where I wasn't happy, and you go to a different situation that wasn't ideal. You know, wasn't ideal for me. You know, so, you know. I'll sit back and, you know, I'll uh, assess whenever it's time to assess. Uh, but, you know, that's like five months away, you know. Yeah. And then finally, uh, the media likes to basically make judgments on all the players uh, based on just their performance. So I'd like to kind of turn the tables. Do you have any assessment of how the media's performed this season? The media's performed? No, they're cool. I- I've been in cities where people were like this. People were people made crazy assumptions and wrote crazy articles and never even came to practice, you know what I'm saying? So, where I, the situation I was in, it's like, man, me has been A++, you know, because I was in a city where people, jackasses would hop on TV, try to talk like Skip Bayless or whatever, and not even show up to practice, not even be involved or write articles just to pay their rent, like, you know what I'm saying? And then, along with that, putting people's character into question. And whenever you're, you're willing to do that for a buck or you don't take advantage or you don't really recognize what your words or what you write, how far that can go, then, I mean, you're, you're wrong. I never really, I don't think I've experienced that here. I think people are classy. I don't think people are arrogant or egotistical in this, in this market, in my personal opinion. I haven't, you know, I haven't known it. So, I mean, I, I, I like the media here for sure. Is there anything you wish? these group of dudes did better, like covering the team or told better stories? Or no, they're pretty good, man. I'm telling you, I was in the worst of the worst market. So, this is, so, so anything is way better than where I was at, you know? So, I mean, they're cool. I mean, as long as you, you know, have some integrity behind what you write and have a reason for why you write it, and that's it. Explain it. Some people just say stuff and don't know what the hell they're talking about. And then they haven't, you know, understand they put it in a publication where thousands and thousands and thousands of people read a day and, and, and people are mature enough to form their own opinion, they just run with it. You know, so it is what it is. My biggest takeaway from that was his response to my question about Brad Stevens off the court. Maybe I'm a little bit weird, but I'm fascinated by Brad Stevens, just who he is when he's not talking or watching or doing anything around basketball. Because he seems super, super obsessed that I just want to get to know his thoughts on anything besides basketball. And when I asked Evan, he immediately laughed and really gave me an, a, a nothing answer, and I don't think he knows. I think he was grasping for straws to try to give us something, but he had, he had no idea. He didn't He's, even know what music he listened to. He said he likes sports, <laughs> he reads books, 
and that he probably listens to country, but that's because he's from Indiana. Because he's from Indiana, but yeah. he had no idea. And the two video guys who were next to us when we were doing the interview, they kind of laughed when I asked that question too. So Brad Stevens, the enigma, still continues. We'll have to have him on the podcast. To, I'm to dying find to have out. a sit down with Brad Stevens, and I would ask him zero basketball. Oh, that'd be a waste. I'd probably ask him a bunch of basketball questions, but there would be a hearty section about <laughs> just what his life was like pre-basketball. I want to know about his favorite bands, his, his marketing first- job. Yeah, his first concert, uh, just everything besides basketball with Brad Stevens, because that's that's fascinates me. I can't remember right now, and someone correct us on Twitter, but I know I definitely remember him talking about his first concert. He definitely at some point. Are you in the sure last you're not years, talking about uh, our own podcast where we asked uh, Adam Himmelsbach what he thought the first concert was? That could be it. Yeah, because I've been upset. I've been <laughs> I know, upset I thought with I Brad. Him. He definitely talked about a concert that he went to at some point. Maybe Adam had that answer. We'll have to go back into the archives. Another interesting thing from uh, the conversation a legitimate with Evan, thing. A, a legitimate, legitimate thing, thing, was when I asked him about free agency, and he gave the typical, uh, I'm not worried about that uh, it's five, uh, five months from now. But there were some kind of snippets in there when he was talking about being comfortable in the environment and... It's the I think he said he talked to Tayshawn Prince. It's the agent's job to get him as much money in a place where he feels comfortable, and it certainly feels like he's found his groove in Boston. He's certainly been embraced by the fans of Boston and the media, like us. So I don't know what the Celtics are going to do because they have tons of cap flexibility, and they're certainly going to chase stars. But I certainly think the Celtics would like to have him back. He seems to be one of Brad Stevens' favorite player, and we found out today that Danny Ainge is actually going to be going to his um, jersey retirement ceremony at Ohio State over the uh, over this break. So who knows what will happen, but I thought it was an interesting answer. What, what more could Brad and Danny do to try to cement the fact that they value him? I mean, Brad has really gone out of his way throughout the past 12 months, basically, to make a note of how hard Evan has worked to improve defensively, and I think that's become pretty apparent uh, as a rebounder as well. And Danny is, you know, Danny's clearly expressed how, I mean, how valuable Evan is. Uh, and we know Jared is going to, Jared Soldier is going to be there and they're very close as well. Evan, Evan's been a crucial locker room presence for this team. Someone that I think balances out maybe Jay Crowder's intensity really well. But while Evan is a very kind of silly and laid back guy, he works hard and he's improved in a lot of ways we're kind of his career almost restarted because don't forget he was scoring like 18 points a game with Philadelphia a few years ago and on a on a good team I mean they were it wasn't the current Philly team this was the team that they stripped down so he was a legitimate NBA scorer at one point and he's had to kind of break it all down and rebuild it back up as a more valuable player to his team and he's really hit that stride lately with this uh with the Celtics especially the way that Stevens has figured out how him and Isaiah Thomas in the fourth quarter can be a really good partnership and it's it's really enhanced both of their games and of course in that Clipper game which we keep referring to on this podcast he was instrumental playing off of Isaiah to get that win for them and the way that he talked in his interview I think he realizes that after a terrible media experience and he didn't name it, but it was Philadelphia. Yes, I think that was, that's pretty obvious. And I mean, Philly's notorious for it. And as much as people think Boston's a tough sports town, I think the general, the general beat writers are a lot more fair than in Philadelphia. And then Indiana, where it's just a terrible fit for him there. And that was a mess. He's learned. He's gone through that gauntlet of learning how valuable it is to be in a place where you're a fit and they want you there and you like it there. And, 
He's not going to walk away from that unless there's no offer for him on the table. The Celtics have enough money, and they have bird rights. They're going to be making him a pretty good offer. I would be shocked if he uh, ended up somewhere else at the start of next season just because you you hear Brad Stevens talk about how much he loves the game, and it doesn't sound like Evan's going to be asking for an outrageous contract. He probably will get better offers, but again, that real focus on the environment he feels comfortable in, that was my biggest takeaway from the sit-down with Evan Turner. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the WEI Celtics podcast. Jared of CLNS Radio and the Garden Report, tell them where the Twitters is. The Twitters is at CLNS underscore Jared Weiss. And, of course, as we said off the top of the show, CLNS Radio is powering this podcast now. We're going to have all sorts of distribution, all sorts of fun descriptions on the podcast page. So go to CLNS Radio to find this podcast as well as, of course, WEEI. And you can find us on Stitcher and on iTunes. And please subscribe. Please give us a five-star rating and explain why this podcast has changed your life and made you a basketball savant. I, you can just talk to us. I just want I just want to hear any any comments at all. If you ask us a question, I feel obligated to uh, mention it on the podcast. Last week we talked to Danny Larue about boners, so and that was a <laughs> uh, a fan question. So we're pretty obligated to talk about anything. So get at me on Twitter. I'm at Sam Packard NBA, formerly Wei Celtics. I know there's been some confusion there, but you're still the black white Frank White. Whoa, whoa, whoa! The white black Frank Jesus. White. I could not be the black-white Frank White. <laughs> that would make no sense. One, Frank White was originally white. He was played by Christopher Walken in the movie King of New York. And the black Frank White is Biggie. So thus, I am the white-black Frank White, the uh, Caucasian no- notarized big. Um, I'm glad I was able to explain that just in case people were slightly confused. Um, but that's a scenario. With great diction, might I add. Oh, well, thank you. That's what uh, the white-black Frank White brings to the table. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you on next week's episode. We're going to have a trade special for you. There's going to be something going down, and we're going to yell about it. Spectacular! So I just got back from the Yeezy Season 3 presentation from Kanye West, and it was kind of an absolute disaster. (laughs) We're going to play some new Kanye, The Life of Pablo, to take you out. We'll see you next week on the WEI Celtics podcast powered by CLNS Radio. Only Pablo I care about is Pablo Sanchez. Back at baseball for life. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.